This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, you're listening to In Your Opinion, and I'm Linda Hong, ST's assistant podcast editor. Now, eating hawker food is intrinsic to Singapore culture, but food costs have been getting higher. Food inflation, which includes raw food like meat, seafood and eggs, had been in the range of 5% annually in the last two years, higher than the 1-2% to increase in 2020 and 2019. With food costs getting more expensive, how are hawkers coping? In this episode, we look at how the younger generation of hawkers are grappling with higher business costs while still serving that affordable meal. And here to discuss this with us are two relatively young hawkers. We have Cornelius Tan, he's 38 and is the second generation hawker of Chai Wee Cutterfish Stall at Chinatown Complex. He's also the vice chairman of the Chinatown Complex Hawker Association. Welcome to the show, Cornelius. Hi, Linda. We also have Jeevan Anandan. He's 32 years old and runs Lina Fishball Noodles since 2019. Welcome to the show, Jeevan. Hi, Linda. Thanks for having me. Now let's start off by talking business. Cornelius, we know that inflation is a challenge for hawkers. As vice chair of the Chinatown Complex Hawker Association, what other challenges do hawkers face? So basically, hawker food is supposed to be affordable and uh, we try to keep our profit margins low. Every stockholders, every hawkers, they are their own boss. And uh, that's also why they can keep their profit margin lean. So over time, especially after COVID, raw material prices, they have been increasing. And especially with oil prices going up, handling fees such as delivery, logistics, manpower costs, mm-hmm. they have went up. So all this add, adds on to the inflation of the raw materials as well. So hawkers... What can we do is usually to try to go direct to the source to buy our raw materials. So it'll be cheaper. They will play around with the ingredients and uh, they will also cut their profits to keep the price the same. Until the extent that it is not making money, then they will have no choice but to increase their food cost price, selling price. But these are also at a very justifiable margin. Consumers can see, as we patronize hawker stores, we all know that the food cost is still within affordability. Mm. If prices of raw materials keep going up, hawkers would naturally do adjustments to make ends meet, especially at home. They will have to pay for their houses. They have to pay for their parents. They'll pay for their children. Even though some hawkers, they may not have uh, liabilities and they just uh, enjoy cooking what they cook and they enjoy serving their food to customers, seeing their smile every day without making profit or just a little bit of profit every day, they will continue to do, just like to spend time. Yeah, so we do see this kind of hawkers around and uh, when you patronize food from them, uh, they're typically still very cheap. Yeah, perhaps three dollars, three fifty per bowl of noodles. So yes, they still do exist, and uh, this also keeps uh, the whole hawker culture alive. There's some sort of compassion and some sort of uh, 
community spirit in there, whereby and everybody, be it poor or rich, when you come to a hawker centre, you'll be able to have something to eat. But the types of hawker that you've mentioned, that they'll be very happy to cook, making without profits, usually it's the elderly, the more senior types of hawkers. So for G, even for yourself, you're young, you have a family, you have a wife, a daughter. Um, how do you actually cope with inflation for your business? For my business? Well, I think the only way to cope with it is to increase your prices. That's probably the only way. How do customers actually react when you um, raise prices? Well, there's definitely going to be a lot of uh, retaliation, a lot of flake. But look, you just got to get with the times. We don't have a choice. Hmm. At the end of the day, we're running a business. If we don't profit from it, there's no point running it. But what they need to realize is that, like he said, uh, Cornelius mentioned, hawkers have to keep their prices low. It's, they call it a social responsibility, apparently, but... It's a bit difficult because when a business gets involved with a social role, then where does profit come in? Where is the balance? So that's the challenge that hawkers are facing, actually. And Cornelius, what, what did you use to what um, Jeevan has actually mentioned about, you know, the social responsibility and maintaining the balance? How do you usually maintain that sort of balance? Yeah, actually what Jeevan had shared is very valid. So, in fact, businesses, we need to make money out of it. If not, eventually, it will just lead to shutdown. So, there must be a balance in how much we earn and uh, how much we're giving back. But however, if this liability that this hawker bears is very big, then of course, uh, with all the financial load at home, there's no choice but to find money to, to bring back home, right? So, for instance, uh, housing loans, when the interest rates are going up and there's a bank loan to pay, if we are still making the same amount of money, we will not be able to pay off the housing loan. So, naturally, there's a need to increase the revenue to bring back home more profits just to, to have a shelter over our heads. Yeah. So... Increasing price for hawkers is natural. It is, you can see that it's quite gradual because everybody is doing it responsibly. There won't be too big an adjustment because consumers will not be able to accept. And when consumers cannot accept, they will choose other alternatives. And this will also mean harder sales. So when hawkers make lesser profit, they will push for more volume. They will hope that more people will come and patronize their stores. So at least they sell another few more bowls, they can see better profits out of there. Yeah. To what extent can authorities help hawkers then uh, to cope with the problem of high inflation as well as to sell that affordable meal? Jivan, you want to yeah, take on sure. this question first? Um, I think maybe a bit more attention must be given to the industry. Um, I'm not sure what sort of policies, what sort of schemes they can come up with because they're mixing it up. Like I said, authorities, uh, government is mixing it up with the social role and the business. You can't mix it both. Get what I'm trying to say? If I, for example, if I, I open a, a recording studio, I don't have a social role to play. I can charge you X amount of money with zero guilt 
or a need to give back. You know, there's no there's no need. It's purely a business. So honestly, in my opinion, I would encourage all hawkers to stop having this um, charity organization mindset. You're not a charity organization. You're running a business. Let's make that very clear. You have, if you want to take it as a social role, go ahead. But I think everybody needs to make money. So you've got to change the mindset with these hawkers and the whole industry. Maybe for, for a start, that's what the, the, the government can do. Just change the mindset. And let the hawkers increase their prices without guilt. Okay, so Cornelius, um, what about the difference, you know, between hawker centres as well as coffee shops? Uh, is there a difference in maybe the business model that we can actually look at here? Yes, actually it's very different. So for hawker centres, uh, we tender our stores from NEA and our stores are actually at market rate. So what, what we mean by market rate is uh, when we tender the highest bid, we'll get it. But typically, when people bid, they will have a study first. So what happens is, uh, if the market, if around the area, everybody is uh, paying about thousand two hundred per store per month. So after three years of uh, tenancy agreement, when it is due, that's renewal. Does any increase your rental? No, it's no, fixed. Okay. It will drop. It drops. Yes, it drops to the market rate of that area. It drops. Yes, exactly. So, so say now somebody comes out and they bid two thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but actually, it's the average is about one thousand. Oh, okay. So three that's years fair, later, this two thousand will drop to one thousand. Oh, that's fair. Yes. Okay. And uh, it renews every time there's a tenancy agreement renewal, which is very fair. Over the past ten years, my rental hasn't gone up. To be honest with you, mm, and in fact, fair. for for my hawker center, the the rental hasn't gone up. And this is how the government is actually helping and controlling on the rental price. So that's why only Singaporeans and PRs are allowed to bid for a hawker store. This is how the government protects Singaporeans. Protect how? Because uh, no foreign intervention. So which means that you, there, there cannot be any uh, form of foreigners uh, coming in to bid for a hawker store. And there's also another term that the person that is, uh, that is the storeholder, the license holder, has to be at the stall every day for at least four hours and attendance will be taken. Mm-hmm. So this means that I cannot just employ somebody, leave that staff there while I go and do something else. This will mean that after I bid for this stall, I have to be at the stall, I have to run the stall as a hawker. Yeah. So this is something different from... Uh, private coffee shops. Yeah. Private coffee shops or food court. So in this extent, we can see how different uh, the nature is. Mm-hmm. So controlled rentals, uh, unless in the very first initial bid, somebody bid really very high, like 4000 when it's only like $1,000 and then um, may have to suffer for... If, if business is good, it's okay. I mean, this person will be doing well, very well. So this is the difference of a hawker centre versus private coffee shops or food court. So I would assume Jeevan's stalls are all in coffee shops. Yeah, all private, yes. Okay. Yes, that's right. And you also have a central kitchen. Yes, right. Okay. Yes. So I, I would suppose that our rentals are very different. Yes. Ours, our industry is not as regulated as, as yours. So yes. the landlords have the, yes, the, the leeway right. to determine your rental. Yes, so I think the context when uh, Jeevan is trying to yes. share will be very different from how I... That's I'm, right. Yeah. Because, you know, for those that were on the streets selling hawking 
hawkers, the original hawkers on the streets. When the government uh, had relocation plans and they relocated them into the hawker centers, till today, their stores may just be like $300. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I, I do, do, you know I do about, study the bits. Yeah, uh, I've $300. Seen. And because they are the very first generation hawkers, uh, what happened? Normally, usually, you observe that the food that they are selling, the price is cheaper. It's, it's, it's cheaper because they do not have to worry about uh, rental. Rental. Yeah. Simple, isn't it? yeah. And what do we pay per month for hawkers? Uh, typically, rental, town council fees, table cleaning fees. All this, they are all controlled. Controlled by Hawkers Association, controlled by NEA. So that's the reason how we don't have fluctuating overheads. Yeah. And when time comes and the rental is due for renewal, we won't get a shock out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We will be able to continue. And thus, we see stores that from the first day until today, they are still there at the same store because yeah. they do not need to relocate. Rental too high, I could run away. Rental too high, I could run away. I think this, this is something that helps. Perhaps you can consider uh, coming into Hawker Centre, having a store in Hawker Centre. Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. we should. There is a very important thing here that is the manpower cost. Um, and Cornelius would possibly have to hire only Singaporeans and permanent residents. And I believe that the coffee shops, you can hire foreign manpower. Yes. It depends. Stalls at NEA hawker centres would not be able to hire any foreign workers at all. Would that be an issue to you then, Jivan? Definitely. You can't hire foreigners at food stalls, by the way, by MOM law. So you have to have had a food shop licence first before you can hire foreign workers to work at your food stalls. So with a normal, regular food stall licence, you're not allowed to hire foreigners. So, so that's why you have a central kitchen? Then with the central kitchen? No, you, not you my can, central kitchen because oh. we, we also run a, a coffee shop. understand. So we have a food shop license. Oh, from the coffee shop, you got yeah. a food shop license and task. Understood. Correct. Mm. So then we can rotate our workers around. That's mm. the only way we could have hired foreigners. Mm. But if you were to run a store, how would you actually make your business model to be able to hire only Singaporeans and permanent residents then? Uh, that beats me because the manpower cost for, for locals are way too high. And the expectations and willingness to work is just very different from a foreign worker. So, honestly, I've restarted uh, hiring for Singaporeans when we were initially in about 2020, 2021. All of them were all Singaporeans. Only recently, when we started, we realized that manpower costs for Singaporeans were way too high. And they were not willing to work as, as hard or as much as the foreign workers. And then we had no choice. Foreign workers are not cheap, by the way. But they are more willing to work. They have they come here to just make money. They're here to earn money for their families, send the money home, and just grind it out. Whereas Singaporeans, you know, we tend to get a bit comfortable here and there. So that's the challenge that uh, we face. And then another question about business costs in terms of rent. Do you think that we are too greedy with rent um, in Singapore then, in general? I wouldn't use the word greedy. Everyone's trying to make a living or make a bit their business profitable. So even the operator has his own fair share of challenges. If he's renting his coffee shop from HDB, he has X amount to pay to HDB. He has to pass down the cost to his tenants and his tenants have got to pass down the cost to his consumers. So it's a chain reaction. So it's very market-driven then. It's just forces, economic forces of demand and supply. If there's no demand, then there's no supply and there's, there's no but increase of course, in prices. There then. are some operators that, you know, get, uh, for lack of a better word, greedy. 
then you just avoid them. As a tenant. Cornelius, any views on that? Generally, we don't face this problem in hawker yeah. centers, so we are very blessed. <laughs> even even for certain, I can share with you some initiatives that the government have uh, in place for us that I feel that it helped hawkers a lot over the years. So SGQR, that's the payment method, right? So till today, hawkers, all the transaction fees are being borne by the government, which means that we do not pay transaction fees at all. If I'm not wrong, they are starting the uh, fees already. Um, This year or next year? I I have received uh, SMS that until at least end of this year. End of this year. Okay. Yeah, that the government is still absorbing all okay. the transaction but fees. But there are going to be fees. Yeah. So yes, you are right. La. One day there will be fees. But so far, since the start of uh, SGQR payment, we have not paid anything for transaction fees. It's coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> and and I have to say that this uh, SGQR payment mode had helped many hawkers afloat and to bring in more business, especially when uh, consumers, they do not bring enough cash because it's not a habit to bring so much cash along with us nowadays. So uh, with SGQR payments, uh, consumers can buy more food that they want without being restricted with how much cash they have. And this actually brings more sales to hawkers. And now let's move on to some personal stories of how you guys, you know, became uh, hawkers. Both of you graduated from university before moving into the hawker profession. And Cornelius, you were working with M1 Mobile as an engineer after graduating from NTU. Then you left your corporate job to continue your family legacy in 2014. Is your current take-home pay as a hawker still comparable to your previous salary as an engineer then? Yes. I am making salary that is uh, about the same as uh, engineers out there now. I feel that the purpose of taking over the family business and the legacy makes me richer. And uh, it's not just for money, but to take care of my customers and also to, to fulfill my dream that I had from young. So making food is not just about a very technical thing about making food. Food actually brings memories. Memories from young, uh, how I grew up with my grandparents. They are no longer here today. But the flavours that they make, the snacks that they produce, and I'm able to recreate and to make it even better today is something that keeps those memories alive and uh, something that I can share with uh, customers and uh, something that I totally enjoy every day. Yeah. So it's beyond monetary. And um, Jivan yourself, you know, you are an investment bank. You were an investment banker. And before you came on board to become a hawker. So what are your, you know, thoughts about leaving that profession? You know, do you find that it's worth your while? Looking oh, at what you were earning before? Definitely worth my while. I mean, monetary aside, uh, it's a bit more, it's a lot more fulfilling actually. Uh, I have more uh, say over decisions. But I mean, of course, you sacrifice a lot in terms of time. You have the freedom to make decisions, but you lose the freedom of time because you have a lot of uh, responsibilities as a business owner. You have a lot of people to answer to, a lot of people, a lot of mouths to feed. You have a lot, a whole new set of responsibilities. So it's a give and take, but uh, I'll never go back to what I was doing. 
maybe also we can also chat a little bit about how have your degrees played a part uh, to this hawker profession then, Cornelius? So my engineering profession trained me to be very analytical in thinking, very logical in thinking. So when it comes to automating, semi-automating certain processes, it comes in real handy. So I'll be able to do everything uh, and be controlled of it. And even on the maintenance portion, I maintain the systems myself instead of outsourcing. So this actually saves a lot of money. So if I have some maintenance contracts with some companies to maintain the machines, uh, unlikely I can survive in a hawker center. So this gives me the advantage of uh, being able to do everything myself. Yeah. So for hawkers, we have to do the prep work to the sales, to the cooking, to the customer service, to the cleaning, and to the accounts, everything, all on our own. Hawkers are family-run businesses. So everything, there's a very personal touch and a very different story, hawker to hawker, very different. So this makes our hawker culture so special. There are a lot of stories to tell as you eat the food that was prepared for you. It's not something that is uh, very generic from Central Kitchen, but it may have been made 100% in that hawker store, depending on which hawker you patronise. So maybe you can also tell us a little bit about, you know, you actually make crispy cutterfish as well as ear biscuits. Maybe give us a bit of a visual as to how this machinery actually, you know, is used in the manufacturing at stall. So for crispy cutterfish, I have this uh, semi-automatic machine that has a conveyor on it and my cutterfish will be roasted in this machine. There's also a lot of experience needed because we need to calibrate with the size of the cutterfish and we need thickness of the cutterfish and also a lot of other factors. So on the fly, we have to keep adjusting. So this can be done, majority of the time, they are done manually. So it's still a very laborious task. So what is good about this is that the volume, when it is done uh, semi-automatically, can increase uh, a bit more than uh, traditional conventional methods. So for the ear biscuits portion, the main thing is about the kneading of dough. In a very beginning phase, the flour has to come into a sheet, a sheet of dough. So that portion is done by machine. And then the next station will be me kneading the dough. So rolling up the dough. And that is the part that cannot be automated right now. And that is my human touch to my biscuits that makes it crispier and more flavorful because of that human intervention in it. So there's also a cutter, a cutter that cuts the, the road dough. And that will be the shape of the biscuits. When it comes to automating them, the use of uh, programmable logic controllers, sensors, all this, they are very helpful because they can be another pair of uh, eyes taking care of some data points for you uh, and you can go and have some coffee and don't really take care of it for the moment because the computer will take care of it. So it's actually very fun to incorporate engineering into machineries and a hawker centre. Interesting. Yes. Okay. Very and interesting. Jivan, 
yourself? You, it sounds like you're from a business or an accounts background. Maybe you can tell us what you used to do and how do you apply it in your current, my current um, profession? Business? Yeah. Like my degree? Yes. What do you used to study? I studied banking and finance. Okay. Uh, and honestly speaking, my degree has not helped me in any way. Yeah, zero. Uh, if anything, my secondary school education helps me a lot. Yeah, because I mean, business is really easy. It's just plus minus divide times. It's just it's as simple as that. I didn't. My degree has not helped me at all. <laughs> Which part of your secondary school education then did you start think that you know you've you've been putting it to very good use? My emats, the basic maths. Okay. That's it. And um, then going forward, do you hope to, you know, you already have three stalls and, and, you know, one central kitchen. Do you hope to maybe create an empire out of this? What vision do you have for the stall, for Lina Noodles going forward? We definitely hope to expand the brand, not just locally, but regionally and globally. That's the plan that we have. I believe that uh, we have a good product that needs to be shared with the rest of the world not just our market, our market is tiny. So we have plans and hopefully we'll be able to manifest it uh, in the coming months, years. So your empire of the bar chow mee, how do you actually hope to expand overseas then? Is it the dish itself or do you hope to sell the fish ball and the fish dumplings separately? We are really open to everything and every possibility. Well, for expanding the bar chow mee, for example, we are actually planning to even make the brand halal to sell it in Malaysia and, and Indonesia. And you know, we just want to share the same flavours with other countries as well within the region. That's one of it. Uh, another thing that we are planning is to, with regards to your question, whether we're going to manufacture here or overseas, we're not sure yet. It all depends on, on the costing and everything. But yeah, we are definitely planning to, to, to go overseas and tap on all the existing grants that the government is giving us, see how we can we can expand as soon as possible, actually. To the both of you then, what would you say to young listeners, you know, who are considering becoming a hawker? Cornelius? Hawker premier, many call it. Many aspire to have uh, cafes and eateries and restaurants of their own. And hawker is a good platform to start. NEA has incubation program and young, young uh, cooks and young aspiring uh, cafe owners and restaurant owners they can actually start from hawker centres. They can join the incubation programme. So uh, it is a platform where anybody can come on board as long as you're Singaporean or PR and the overheads are low and, and it's controlled. So the risk is relatively low. So the crowd of the location is already there, generally, especially in Chinatown complex. So opening a store there, having a menu having a brand new storefront will, will be very attractive to regulars. And uh, once you open your gates for business, your shuttles for business, basically consumers are all in front of you, seated in front of you. So this is uh, something encouraging for all uh, cafe owners want to be or hawkers want to be. So don't wait. <laughs> I, I, I think, I think uh, living a dream, aspiring a dream is to take the first step. It's always about the first step. And along the way, there will be, especially in hawker centres, there will be helps from hawkers association, from uh, business federations and NEA to help. And uh, as long as uh, you are resilient, you can take hardship because the hawker is a very liberating thing. And with a supportive family, 
I believe uh, there's nothing there's nothing to stop anybody. In fact, there are more and more young young uh, hawkers coming on board, especially after we were awarded UNESCO, our hawker culture. So many felt that I grew up eating hawker food and I can cook. So it is my opportunity to shine now, let people taste the food that I've cooked and they are doing well now. So these are very successful case, case stories and cases that we can study. And uh, it is something that you, you, we can observe uh, until today. People who have started hawker trade, generally the hawker scene is getting older and older. So it's so comfortable, even for the elderly. It's like active aging. So they keep themselves active and with manageable operating costs. They are actually spending their day. I used to work spending their day at the hawker centers, cooking food and uh, interacting with people and uh, building the community. So hawker center is a place like a Malay kampong. People say kampong. So people are there. People just, there's this very nice uh, dynamics and spirit in there that is uh, very influential. And come feel it. Come and experience it. Even I think some diners, after eating a few times, they, they know. There are so many stores selling about the same thing. But all work hand in hand. Yeah, all hope that if... I get more business, you'll get more business from it as well because the crowd is coming in and we all have opportunities and this is a good sign as long as crowd is coming in. Jivan, do you see it that way then? It being a family, very oriented business, what are your views on hawker profession? The profession? I agree with a lot of things Cornelius said. Mm. Um, I agree with the dynamics, the, the whole vibe of a hawker centre. If you ask me, uh, should I encourage younger people to come to the hawker trade? I'll say, yeah, go for it. But you have to be willing to put in the work. I mean, don't go in blindly. Don't just don't go in half-heartedly. If you really want to do it, do it. Yeah, you can definitely make a living out of it, for sure. But you have to put in the work. Keep going and don't give up. Okay, so thanks very much for your views. It's very interesting to see the different views from Cornelius, who runs Chai Wee Cutterfish in Chinatown Complex, which is a NEA hawker centre, and Jeevan's Views, who uh, runs three stalls in coffee shops, right? So thanks very much for keeping the hawker culture alive. Thank um, you very much. Yeah, nevertheless, the different business models. Yes, I had that for lunch. <laughs> Thank you very much, Linda. We've learned a lot and I believe you all did from each other and I wish you all the best in your ventures. Thanks, Jivan. All the best to you too. Thank you, Linda. Thanks, Cornelius. All the best to you too. Thanks Thanks for having me here today. Okay, well, that's a wrap for In Your Opinion. I'm Linda Hong. And you can email us your thoughts on this issue. Also, if you'd like to read SC articles or opinion columns, all these links in our podcast show notes. Thanks for listening. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.